I had my first sexual experience when I was 12. And I start going down on him while he's driving. I need clear boundaries. Knowing that it is okay for me to be gay, even though that my upbringing might have been different. This is episode 26, live from the Touchpoint Town Hall in New York City. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast about love, sex, and identity in the modern world. I'm your host, Jared Matthew Weiss. Each week, I chat with an inspiring person that will help you expand your mind, open your heart, and give you one thing to think about on your journey towards great love. Thanks for hanging with me today. Here we go. This week, Love Touchpoint celebrated its three-year anniversary. And as I reflect on the 50-plus town halls I have hosted for more than 5,000 people in New York City and beyond, and all of the stories and insights shared from humans at the intersections of sexual orientation, gender, race, religion, and ability, I have come to one very simple conclusion. People that know how to be themselves and allow other people to be themselves have better sex than people who do not. Period. That's really it. So you can study the Kama Sutra cover to cover, master a million spine-tingling tongue techniques, take an online tantra class, and become a dedicated disciple of Esther Perel. But unless you feel free to express yourself without the fear of judgment or abandonment and empower your partners to do the same, relationships, sexual or otherwise, will always feel a bit unfulfilling. I realize that is much easier said than done. After all, being yourself takes bravery. Empowering others to be themselves takes emotional awareness, and both require daily practice. So where do you begin? Well, I believe it all starts with the realization that you are tired of being other people. You need and deserve meaningful connection in your life, and that sex is not just a thing we do, but a space we create. And the more intimate the space, the better the sex. Thank you to the Touchpoint community for the most transformative years of my life so far. I look forward to continuing to learn from you as we continue to evolve and grow this amazing event. In this episode of the Touchpoint Town Hall, You'll hear stories of sexual exploration, gender transformation, and what one poet calls skin starvation. You'll hear the unbelievable story of how one person made their sexual debut, which is the clinical term for first sexual experience. Dr. Jana offers some surprising insights into what consent means in the United States and so much more. Thanks for listening. Here we go. Well, thank you all, first of all, for wanting to receive a South American story in your ears. Wow. And I just want to start by saying that the times in which I grew up and I started discovering my sexuality, uh, you know, had a lot of violence and bombs and fear because that was the reality of the country at that time. I grew up in the time in which in high school they will give us fire drills, earthquake drills, and kidnapping drills. 
because it was real issue that the guerrilla could come to schools and kidnap a bunch of us and then ask for some money to our parents. And so seeing the news every day for me made me have a different interpretation about life because you really never know when you are going to die or not. There was not really that much time for being sad or depressed about things that were working or not. You were actually just living day by day, moment by moment. And of course, when the whole shot of hormones start growing through yourself, you really start finding, wow, sex is something that I can really live for. Or at least that was my story. <laughs> so I start trying to understand this connection that I was creating and why did I feel so hungry for sex? It was like an appetite for it that was never fulfilled. And so that brings me to the first part of the story. Um, I discovered or I had my first sexual experience when I was 12. And then by the age of 15, I was working in the restaurants and the nightlife. And I met this guy, his name was Alex. It's Alex, but in Colombia you would say Alex because he sounds a little bit more sexy. And in Colombia, we have beauty contests for everything, including for males. And he was one of the winners of this male contest. So you could imagine he was gorgeous. He had everything defined, all his muscles, or I imagine at that time, because I could see it through his shirt. And so I was quite excited that somebody who doubled my age was interested in myself. And so Alex, or Alice invited me to just have a night out with him. And that time, uh, because I was quite adventurous and I like a little bit of this adrenaline in my life, I decided to have a fake ID and be 15 years old and go to parties that were, of course, being for, you know, more grown ups. And so we went to a party about, and he invited me and he said, like, oh, you have to come. This is going to be a great party. Uh, it was going to be in this gay club that is called Teatron. It's kind of like the gay Disneyland. It's like seven floors of just like <laughs> queer people, semi-naked, naked with bananas hanging all over their body. So that's why I say when you try Colombians, you try the whole tropic and the whole spiciness. But anyway, so we went to this party. I did not have an idea who was playing and he said to me, oh, it's this famous singer called Boy George. Sorry for those who are fans of Boy George. I didn't know who Boy George was at that time. He was not quite singing at that time. He was doing DJ sets. I'm still in the timing, which I don't know if that was real Boy George or somebody just painted <laughs> as Boy George, who knows? But anyway, we went to this party, fake ID. I lied to my parents. I said I was going to be there. Um, we go into the party, the whole adrenaline, just me desiring Alex, but at the same time knowing that I was in a very sketchy neighborhood in Bogota, that this guy, I kind of know him for two days already. Uh, we kind of like meet once first in person, and I'm here with him in this party. I don't know anything. I don't have a cell phone. Okay, I liking it. It's dangerous, but I'm liking it. So <laughs> Boy George started playing. I'm sure it was amazing, but I was just really horny, and I just really wanted to touch Alex's body. I mean, full abdominal thing. I have never get into that. And so I was really just craving that. And so he said, do you want to go somewhere? And I was like, yeah, sure. I thought we were going somewhere inside of the club, but no, we went outside of the club and we went to this place that, I mean, here in America, I believe that motels and like sex places are quite amazing compared to that place. <laughs> it was all very, very dark and it was covered by plastic bags or trash bags. Uh, that's how they cover everything. And so when we go into this place, this lady at the front desk, I believe it was a front desk, but it was just like a very weird scene. She was smoking and she said, okay, how many artists 
artists are coming. I'm like, artists? I'm liking it. It's very sketchy too, but like, no. And then he said, <laughs> we're like, we're two. And then she said, like, what type of room do you want? And I was like, okay, I'll let Alex take care of everything. So we went into a room thinking that he will have, like, you know, the looks one. And the deluxe one was pretty much just a bed and a little tiny TV of those that you, like, move the channels with your hand, with handle. <laughs> and there were, like, a couple of, like, porn videos going on there, but, like, not really good quality anyway. <laughs> At that moment, when we start taking our clothes and he start kissing me, I, like, really realized the whole moment. And I'm like, fuck, who is this guy? What am I doing here? Why did I lie to my parents? This is totally gnarly. I'm petrified. <laughs> and I'm loving it. <laughs> Just the sensation of the sweat running and knowing that I was doing something that has like adventurous adrenaline, danger, and sex just got me there. I was already having probably one of those five second orgasms that we had at the moment. <laughs> Anyway, we started having the sex. It was amazing, you know? Like, my body was still developing in the muscles when I saw that whole, like, not six-pack, but eight-pack, and, like, all I was just, like, all over that body. It was amazing. I was learning how to touch that type of muscles. He was very respectful. He was good. I truly enjoyed that. And then we finished, and it was great. But as we finished, I realized that I just wanted more. I realized that there was this appetite growing that felt like insatiable. I just wanted more, but I didn't know if what I wanted more was of the sex or of the danger. I didn't know if I wanted more of the experience of being connected to someone or just the experience of being doing that was forbidden and risky to my own life and to my own self. So now that I am in this place of living out of war, I really meditate on that, just like how to find balance between the two of them. Because both of them are in a stimulus. They're not all of them stimulate my life. I, like both of them are amazing. But how can I feel more fulfilled in my sexual life? Something that is, has more longevity, something that has more depth, and not just the rush of adrenaline. And that is the journey that now a whole new life is bringing to me. Miguel, um, that was, I mean, it's just, it's just such an epic story, and you're such an epic storyteller, so I'm so grateful that you're here and you shared that. Um, I, can I ask you some questions? Many. Thank God. Okay. So <laughs> just so that we're Not clear, <laughs> I ask a lot of questions in this space, and so w if I ask you a question, you say you want to answer it, great, you can answer it. If you don't want to answer it, you can feel free to say no. If you start to answer a question and then you realize like midway through, you're like, wait, actually, why am I saying this in front of all these people? I don't want to say this. You can just stop talking. You're perfect. So you can change your mind at any time um, throughout the evening. So Miguel, um, you, you said that you had your first sexual experience when you were 12. Mm -hmm. Um, and this happened when you were 15. You also mentioned, though, that this person that you were with was 30, mm -hmm. right? He was twice your age. So was that common in your life, in your social circles that, you know, because, I mean, when we're talking about consent and the age of consent, and I think, Jana, we should talk about this a little bit, but, but I'm just curious to know, like, a 15-year-old boy with a 30-year-old man, is that something that, 
I guess culturally, you've spoken a lot of your, your cultural background. What yeah. if you could speak more to that? that yeah, would be great. I actually, I think uh, culturally we don't have either like laws, severe laws of anything that might like as I experience now in the states that you know there is a law that you cannot like flirt with eighteen or underage, depending. I think we don't, we didn't have that, and at least in my case, talking for that, when I started discovering my sexuality, it also happened that I was always hanging with people who were a little bit older than me just because of the type of uh, job that I have or what I was doing. So I think that in my perspective, it felt normal and it still feels normal because I know that there was part of the flir flirtation and like the acceptance from both parties. Yeah. Uh, what words come up for, for people here when you hear that story? What words come up? Roadhead. Did you say roadhead? Yeah. Okay. Any other words? <laughs> you just shout them out. I'm from Argentina. I grew up very similar like him. Just one word. Just one word. Normal. Normal. Okay, that's yeah. helpful. Okay. Any other words? Danger. What? Questionable. Questionable. Yeah. Danger. Did I hear danger? Mm -hmm. Okay. Insatiable. Mm -hmm. yeah. Relatable. Fun. Fun. Did somebody say insatiable? Yeah. Where are you? Oh, hey. Hi, insatiable. <laughs> I think I would love to talk to you for a second. Are you sure. what, what is your name? Yelena. Yelena. Yelena, what's what's coming up for you? So it's this never ending thirst that I heard. This you know, this kind of craving for this never ending hunger. So um, even hearing you now, you're edging on more and more and more. And so to me, it's, that's what came up for me, that um, I don't know if there's ever an end for you in this journey of danger, Yelena? love, and lust. So what's, that's what is there for me. How, how does that relate to your life? To my life? Yeah. <laughs> my life is fun. Um, um, Tell us about your unquestionable thirst. <laughs> I live it Talk exactly in it. that way. Um, so I am actually in the space of sexuality and transformation, and I think it is the most delicious conversation. It is the core of freedom. So Elena, I'm just gonna, yes. I'm gonna keep pushing. Yeah, so push, this is fun. what is actually coming up for you? Not about your work and the space. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So. Where are you okay. not satiated? No, it's, it's not even that. It's just like, that's the beauty of the journey right? That insatiable doesn't have to mean what we think it means. It just means this never ending quest is why I said insatiable. Okay, great. Yeah. Dr. Z, <laughs> I never called you that, but that's what's coming up for me right now. So we were talking about consent. Mm. Um, he's saying that around the laws, he's not sure. I don't know. What is the age of consent? <laughs> the age of consent is whatever a country decides yeah. it's going to be. And it's a big, if, a, if you have a big country like the U.S., it can be anywhere, uh, depends on the state, and it is anywhere between 16 and 18. Oh, it varies in the U.S.? Yeah. By so state. in New York State, it's If 17. you didn't know that, say word. word. I yeah, did not know Yeah, it's not that. 18. No, we just, a lot of people think it is. In some states, it's 18. In some states, it's 17. In some states, it's 16. And wow. in other countries, it varies anywhere between the age of 12 up to 21. And in some states, there's actually no age of consent. It's if you're married 
at whatever age they marry you, whether that's five or 50, that's when uh, you're allowed to give consent to have sex. And in some states of, uh, in Mexico, the age of consent is whenever you hit puberty. And in Colombia, it's actually 14. So... <laughs> Oh, you're good. So you you were doing something well, at least that was Alice, <laughs> at least Alice didn't break the law. So Alice did not uh, break the law in Colombia. He would have been breaking the law here, and he you know he would have gone to jail for a very long well, time. Well, he would almost was... be breaking the law here, depending on what state he's in. No, he there, was 15. Right, so, but no so there's a state in which if he would have been 16, 16 he would have been okay. Hmm? If he was 16, in some states it would right, have been right, right, right. But wow, the, what you know yeah. the experience that he had sure. with 15, with wow. 30. That 30-year-old man would yeah. have gone to jail for that. Yeah. So I, I think when we talk about age of consent, it's really important to consider a few different things. We have the legal age that is decided by whatever jurisdiction we're in, but that is a sort of an arbitrary age. I mean, do you really want to argue that a teenager, a 16-year-old in California is incapable of providing consent, but a 16-year-old in New Mexico is? Like Wow. Because that's what we're saying. Wow. If you have a 16-year-old who has a boyfriend or a girlfriend who's 22 in New Mexico and that's perfectly legal and you move those people to California across state lines and that 22-year-old is now going to jail for a really long time. Wow. So it's a little insane the yeah. way we've come up with these ages. Wow. Um, and you have that legal age. The other thing that you have is the physical age of maturation, which is puberty, and that can range whenever people hit puberty. Well, he had said, he had said his hormones were racing. Right, I mean, he was certainly already he was know, ready to in go. puberty at okay. 15 and, and, and before that. And then there's a the psychological age, which is another issue of when we're sort of mentally, emotionally ready to make those decisions to have sex. And that, that right. depends on culture. That depends on an individual person and their, their experience. And so it, it's really hard to say, you know, I know that we have currently this notion of any sex for kids you know, before 18 or 16 or whatever your idea of that number is, that it's wrong, it's bad, it's harmful, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. And yeah. it's in many other places, it's not considered uh, a problem you know, by default. Wow. Um, and there's a lot of individual difference in that regard. So wow. there can okay. be, there's, there's certainly 15 year olds, which you know, is the, what the story um, I heard from Miguel is, who felt very agentic and empowered in that I'm sorry, experience. Did you just say agentic? Yes, like what, with agency. What? Oh, with agency. With agency, like feeling empowered and feeling like you wanted that. Yeah. That was authentic and, and autonomous in terms of you being engaged in that. And then, you know, so just because it was a big age difference, the problem with an age difference or any other kind of power dynamic is that there's a higher risk of the person with le less power being taken advantage of. It's not by default, right? right. There's just a higher risk, so, and that may or may not happen. Wow, amazing. So what's coming up? We're talking about consent. I mean, we've gotten really into consent here. What words are coming up? Shout them out when you hear them. Power. Power. Safety. Safety. Boundaries. You said boundaries. What was that? Like resentful. Resentful? Mm -hmm. Taboo. Taboo. Okay, can we go to resentful? Hi. What's up? What's your name? Juan. Juan. Yeah. Hi, Juan. What's going on? So, what's coming up for you, man? Uh, yeah. I'm just thinking of in the past when I was a teenager, I never messed with girls who would be the same age as my sister, who was three years younger than me. So, I would just be like, even if they're attractive, 
I'd be like, damn, I can't talk to them. I could talk to them to a certain point, and then I just have to swerve and then go the other way. <laughs> <laughs> thank God you're here, Juan. That was great. Okay. All right. Thank God. That's it. Okay. Thank God you're here. I also heard somebody say Roadhead. Oh, I said Roadhead. Okay, let's go to Roadhead. <laughs> That's not a sentence I ever thought I'd say, but here we are. Um, All right, so what's coming up? Well, it was on the topic of sex and danger. Yeah. And, um, Great title. I was, I was with someone I was dating in L.A., and we're, like, going 80 on the highway, and I start going down on him while he's driving. And I was like, this is so dumb, and I've invested so much time into my education, and, like, <laughs> I feel like I have, like... I have like this life path I'm on. And like, so I'm like risking a lot, but at the same time, I'm like, this is so hot. Um, so yeah, it was dumb, but it was, it was great. Wow. Uh, anybody who's ever been there, say word. Word. <laughs> I love that. Only the space. That's amazing. Okay, okay. Sex in danger. Um, that's uh, that's uh, profound. Miguel, thank you so much for sharing that story. So, so uh, can, I, can I add something about sex and danger in particular? Sure. Um, what I was hearing from you, and, and it, it, I think people don't necessarily realize that there is a big genetic component to how much risk we want in our lives. And there is. Like some of us are literally genetically programmed to find risky experiences, whether it's sexual or other uh, types of risk, exciting. And other people will find that exa exact same experience as scary, right? So, and, and there's a big, big genetic component. They just did a new study that just came out um, finding like these like 100 different genetic variants that are all implicated in risk taking and sex is part of that. So some of us were just meant to like these things more than other people. Anybody who's been there, say a word. Word. Okay, wow. Uh, excuse me. Hi. No, you, you, you. Yes, yes. Are you open to chatting a bit? Okay, okay. The only reason, okay, I'm sorry. I normally don't do this. I normally ask people to shout out words, but in this point, everybody said word, and you went. <laughs> and from my point of view, it required a little more investigation. So, what is your name? Hi, I'm Julie. Julie, and is this your first time here? Yes. Okay, thank God you're here, Julie. So we're talking about sex and, and danger. That made you turn into a lotus flower. So <laughs> I don't even, what's going on? Um, what's coming up? So I am super risk averse in literally every other area of my life, except sex. Like it's, I put all my eggs in one basket. <laughs> okay, keep going. Um, <laughs> what is like, what is a risky thing that you've explored sexually that you, you consider risky? Because it's probably a spectrum in terms of how we, what we consider to be risky, you know? Okay. Um, I'm just gonna be brave. I'm <laughs> Everybody put your hands together. <laughs> for okay. I'm just um, going to be brave. Yes. Sick. I'm submissive. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, the way that I express that now is not risky and that I'm with a partner that um, I feel very safe with. Uh, 
but that wasn't really how I kind of started exploring it. And in retrospect, could you just possibly take one step back and tell yeah. us what that means? Because, like I said, my first touch point, people want to talk about BDSM, and I have no idea what they were talking about. Oh, sure. And there might be other people who share the same, you know, sure. thing. So, what does it mean to be submissive? So, it means that um, in a sexual context, um, I prefer for the power dynamic to be kind of unbalanced. Um, I prefer to be the partner who is. Um, for me, it's in the form of uh, pleasing. So I like to do what will make my partner happy and um, what will make them pleased with me. And uh, that, to me, is very gratifying. And is that a very intentional dynamic? Because I think all of us fall into either more of a dominant or more submissive like mm -hmm. way of just being through life. But sexually speaking, sometimes can be much more intentionally pronounced and you know boundaries are created and things like that. So. Yeah, um, for me it is intentional. Um, I kind of started realizing when I was younger that I was like, oh, this like makeout scene is doing nothing for me. So, and then I'd be like, oh, I don't think I'm supposed to like that, but I'm into it. So yeah, for me it is intentional. And um, over time I've kind of learned that if I don't seek that sexual element in a relationship, no matter how great the rest of the relationship may be, I don't feel fulfilled. Yeah, and so how did you, start exploring submission and dominance in an intentional way. Was there a partner that really sort of shepherded you into that? Uh, Did you go to a club? <laughs> Did you, some, what happened? Oh, as so many of our journeys start, the internet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, so tell us, tell us about that. Uh, all right, so I went to college for fashion and I was really feeling a lack of intellectual stimulation so I decided to look for adult chat rooms, thinking perhaps we would discuss <laughs> art and literature. Uh, that, was, that was not what happened. Um, and I quickly realized, like, oh, this is a different kind of adult chat room. <laughs> um, and, you know, so I was kind of like, chatting with people it was the age of like a slash s slash l but um which if you are not part of that situation that was age sex location um so i did not know that anybody <laughs> else who did not know that say word <laughs> we're with you so i started talking to a guy who was 26 years my senior so i definitely identified with that story um how old were you i i was 19. okay so legal in all 50 states. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and we ended up meeting, and uh, it was really exciting, and it was not like any relationship I had had before, and um, we are not together now, but uh, we did end up having a relationship for two years where I kind of figured out that, yeah, like this is what I'm into, and it's okay to be into this. Oh my God, I love you. Um, <laughs> can you tell us about that first interaction? Sure. I mean, because you'd never had an interaction like this, right? You, I, I hadn't even had sex. I was a virgin <laughs> at the time. Wow. Yeah. We're going to talk later. Um, <laughs> okay, so this is, this is, I mean, the technical term for that is actually your sexual debut. Oh, uh, yes. My, yeah. I hadn't made my sexual So that's debut. actually technically psychologists, psychiatrists, sex researchers, the technical word for when you lose your virginity is your sexual debut, which I just think we should just normalize that. Yes. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. So, all right. Okay. So this is your sexual debut. So tell us about it. 
Okay, well. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to be brave. Uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, we met on the steps of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Um, and. <laughs> um, and uh, we, <laughs> we kissed on the rooftop, and um, after we were leaving the museum, he said, do you want to come to my room with me? Because um, he was you know, traveling, he was here on business. And in a completely uncharacteristic decision, um, I said yes. And uh, that was my first time ever doing more than making out. <laughs> So that was exciting. <laughs> wow. Wow. Unbelievable. You have, thank you so much for sharing oh, all that you've shared. Thank you so much. For <laughs> you. You're unreal. We'll, we have to talk more when we finish, okay. for sure. Thank God you, you've come. Um, okay. So, so, uh, so our next storyteller tonight, uh, I'm very excited about. Uh, her name is Alice. And in the U.S., it's pronounced Alice. Uh, yeah. Everybody, please put your hands together for Alice. So, so Alice, I think it's important to point out, based on what I know that you're going to share, I think it's important to point out that this space is called Touchpoint because of the importance of touch in our lives. Uh, that, that, that touch is a fundamental human need. Uh, and I was very moved by uh, your work and excited to invite you in. Uh, so please share with us your tale. Hi. What I am really excited to talk about is actually sadness and sensuality. And I feel like when I, when I talk about sadness, it's like, whoa, that's like really vulnerable or, or even like, Ah, uh, that was brave. Like, maybe you should not have done that, <laughs> you know? Um, and what I notice when I hear things like that is that I do not take my feelings personally. These emotions that rise up inside of me, I take them more like emissaries, letting me know there's something that I could do differently. Maybe not even me individually, but we collectively. Like this gap between what is and what could be. I mean, even like societally. Because what is depression? That's my question. It's my only one some days when it's so sunny outside and I'm stuck in a haze and I think about all my childhood days, not even childhood, all the way up through my 20s. My emotional life was defined by ease. I was the happiest little cat I knew. So what in my life is painting it blue? It's time we get all Sherlock Holmes on this situation. How much of depression is isolation? What percentage of it is skin starvation? I'd ask you, but you are nowhere to be found. So I'm in this four-walled echo chamber, bouncing thoughts that don't ground. I'm in my apartment. Have you ever noticed? It has the word apart in it. So in a world where we move into isolation chambers and decorate them, I don't know my neighbors. I'm looking for my part in this. 
Do I take medication or is that a cop-out? Do I just need a vacation and a glorious crowd? Do I need a circle around a fire where we all sing and converse about a better future so I know we're conspiring? What I do know is it is not my real life to wake up alone in a home and make my way, say, to a cafe where the most intimacy I get to start my day is a woman asking if she could use the outlet between my legs. <laughs> I say yes, obviously. <laughs> Happily wondering where this might lead, which is inevitably to the two of us in parallel worlds staring at screens. Oh, how lonely. We've got all sorts of anxieties of an epidemic variety. It's weird that in animal society, humans are the ones suffering from our sobriety, unjustifiably, I think, since other animals are actually prey with predators who, given the chance, would eat them for lunch. <laughs> I imagine that warrants more fear than time crunch. But then I read about how serotonin production shuts down and adrenaline spikes during an attack. And a zebra is designed to shake it off and take a nap to restore his happy chemicals. Otherwise, he will feel zapped. To me, this is extremely interesting. It seems we live in fight or flight without ever resting. Seldom the moment absent of worry, like children, romance, money, rushing in. We never give our system time to restore serotonin. Our minds like a constantly flexing muscle of the daily hustle. We're not depressed. We're in need of deep rest. I mean, what if we woke up in bare feet, walked out on the earth, felt a jolt of energy, life force, rebirth, quickening us again to root for our team, make jerseys for humanity, live what unity means, knowing the difference between nutritious affection and superficial hunger for sexual attention. What if we could feast on each other's eyeballs for breakfast, lay open our lids so vulnerably, see and be seen, I think we'd feel full, inevitably. There's this creation story where everything was one and that oneness had nothing to give to, interface with, have fun. It wanted to give of itself, be known, seen, and heard, and out of that desire, multiplicity was birthed. It is our nature to give and be received. And where there's interruption, there's depression. Water pressure needs release. We are the water that this world needs. Your body is the hose. Let's let it out. Our eyes, mouth, heart, hands. Right now, you are the flow.
Alice Frank. Alice, what inspired you to write that piece? Depression! <laughs> like, today was a horrible day, you guys. I, I feel really sad. It was one of those days of, like, the outside. You know, that was the kind of poem that I did not write. I literally went to a cafe, and I was like, ah! And that's what came If you've out. ever been there, say word. word. Yeah. All right, so, so, um, why do you think it's important for, for us to hear something like that? Because I think we're the answer, man. I really think that there's nothing we need that is not in this room. And really, that there is no such thing as depression. I'm like, I don't have that. I do not have depression. You know, like, I think that that's a word that we throw at these feelings. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I know exactly what I need. I need to be in a room with people on a regular basis. Like in my mind, it's like, let's all live on land together. You know, so I don't want to put my shoes on in order to see another set of eyeballs. That kind of thing where I'm like, I just know that the way that I'm living is not my nature. Woo, everybody, Alice Frank. <laughs> so, so what words are coming up for you now? Anti-depression, what else? Okay. Wow, a lot of words. Alice, you've inspired a lot. Okay, breakfast. So breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so cuddle puddle. Hi. Hi. Do you mind if we chat for a second? Totally. Totally. Cuddle Puddle, what's your name? I'm David. David, <laughs> David, you're so joyful. Look oh, at your thank smile. you. Did you just come from a Cuddle Puddle? Or? <laughs> no, but um, yeah, having you're one, totally. He's always, oh my God, all you're people. all together? This? <laughs> wow, okay. All right, so David, what's, come, what's a Cuddle Puddle? Um, it's a space where a bunch of people come in and just um, cuddle in a safe way. And, and is it, do you do this with a lot, with, all, uh, often? What's it? Yeah. Tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, totally. And is this the group that you normally cuddle with? Or? Some of them. It's a subset. <laughs> it's a subset. Yeah. Um, okay, so, so are you all friends? Um, we all met through um, acro yoga. You all met through acro yoga? Yeah. Oh, wow. So that's like the kind of yoga where you're like holding exactly, each other up? Exactly, yeah. Oh, my God. I, my back hurts looking at your photos. On <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, it would probably be good for your back. Oh, my God. Great. Well, maybe we can do some macro yoga when we finish up. <laughs> totally. Yes. Okay. So, so, uh, so when you say a cuddle puddle, do you feel like you have a lot of intimacy amongst the, f the four of you and the other people that totally, you work with? Totally, yeah. Because she mentioned something. She said something about skin starvation. Yeah. And it's really this lack of touch, this lack of intimacy, this lack of connection that drives us to you know, these states. And so um, do you have romantic partners? Romantic partner. That's your romantic partner. Yeah. Okay. Hi. Hi. What is your name? Bia. And you're also an acroyogist? Yes. Yo yogi? Yes. Yogi? <laughs> an acroyogi? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Great. And so how did you two get together? At a cuddle puddle. Wait, wait. <laughs> wait, so are cuddle puddles like very intentional things that we create? Like, is there a Cal invite? Like, 8.30, we're having a cuddle puddle. 
So I was at like a facilitated one of like 400 people that was really intentional. Hold with on, like a set of what? <laughs> Hold on, I need to check in real fast. If you've, if you've never heard of a facilitated 400 person cuddle puddle, say word. Okay, please tell us what you're talking about. Um, I went to this like movement festival called Interfusion where they have like the largest cuddle puddle in the world. Um, Apparently, like, the woman who facilitated it has, like, done, like, 972. She has an exact number. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. And so, and these things are totally non-sexual? Totally non-sexual. The pajamas stay on the whole time. The pajamas stay on the whole time. Or onesies. Or onesies. Yeah. Totally onesies. <laughs> Great. There's really no difference, in my opinion. Um, um, uh, as my mother says, she says, I have a 37-year-old son who walks around New York City in his pajamas. What have I done? <laughs> So, I don't know why my mom became Woody Allen, but I'm just, I'm just rolling with it. Okay, so, if you've, is there anybody here, show of hands, that's been to a facilitated cuddle puddle? Okay, so there's more than you. That's this is great. This is great to know. So, wait, do you go to these things often? Um, so, now that we just have, like, a friend group that's, like, super touch positive, it doesn't have to be facilitated. Touch positive. Yeah. <laughs> is that a new word? Say word. I'm Much not positive. sure, but I think I might have made it up. <laughs> I got to tell you, that's what Google, Google always proves to me that I'm not original. I'll come up with a great idea. I'll come up with a great idea. I go to Google. I'm like, oh, let me see if the domain's available. It's like 37 <laughs> domains registered with that. There's 18 blogs. There's 19 Instagram accounts. Okay. So, so cuddle puddles are very interesting. This like non-sexual intimacy is is profound and very important. Yeah, um, when we're talking about non-sexual intimacy, what words are coming up? Happy, Happy connection. Oxytocin. 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 Consent. Boundaries. Who said boundaries? Me. <laughs> I love it. There's always, there's always this. It's always like, it's always like, who said that? It's always like. Okay. Uh, are you okay if we chat for a second? Sure. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't sound like enthusiastic consent. What, what is your name? Brooke. Brooke. So, Brooke, you're talking about boundaries. I don't want to push any of yours. Thank you. So feel free to just not answer or tell me that we're not going to talk about this. But I just want to know what you're talking about, what's coming up for you. Um, well, I, you know, I have a lot of polyamorous friends and, you know, there's a lot of navigation of, like, friendship and relationship and, and so a lot of times I'm like, for me, I need, like, clear physical boundaries. So the, the idea of being in a room where it's, like, positive touch, to me, I'm like, that's just me, but, so that's my experience. It's like, I need very clear as I've kind of been watching my friends who are polyamorous, I'm like, I wish I could like be a part of that love, but I'm like, I need clear boundaries. Well, I feel like from what I've, and I mean, I mean, Dr. Jana can speak to this uh, much better, but I think that just because you're in a polyamorous relationship doesn't mean that you don't have clear boundaries. It often means that you actually have to have like sometimes much clearer, more intentional boundaries, right, Dr. Jana? Yeah. There's a lot of... Um, I want to make sure I'm understanding There's her a lot of intimacy totally. and, and closeness, physical intimacy and closeness, non-sexual necessarily, in poly communities. And I don't know if that's what you're talking about. Like everybody hugs everyone and everyone is kind of very physically close, right. even if they're not sexual partners. And so the way I'm understanding is 
like you don't want that kind of closeness with people that you're not in a romantic kind of relationship with. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's it's an important thing that you bring up. I think that one of the lessons, and I've learned many from being in this space, but one has been this. You know, you know, first and foremost, like a good example is is asking if everybody, if I can have their permission to have a conversation with them. But then also, honestly, from this space, I've learned to ask people if I'm allowed to give them a hug. So oftentimes people come up to me, they'll say anything, something, and I'll say, oh, you know, if I'm moved by them, I'll say, do I have permission to hug you? And what's funny is that there have been times where people have said no. There have been times where people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? Of course you can give me a hug. Why don't even ask that? Right? And then there's many times when people will say yes, of course. But almost all the time, I, I generally get some recognition where people are like, I'm just glad you asked. That was like nice of you to ask. So I think that I think that like the boundaries thing is is uh, you know that's a it's a it's a very important topic and it's been a, a this I wish more people would do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> me too, me too, me too. On the subject of boundaries, what words are coming up for you? Okay, I heard childhood. Hi. Hi. Are you open to chatting? Or yeah. You are. Okay. Okay, <laughs> so let's just wait until they get one of these mics here. Sorry. Perfect. There we go. You know, it's just a normal thing where I ask you deeply personal questions about yourself and we wait until somebody drops a mic over <laughs> your head. It's, <laughs> it's totally. Tuesday. I'm used to, to it. I'm used right. to it. All right, what, what is your name? Uh, Caitlin. Caitlin. Yes. Okay, so Caitlin, you said we're talking about boundaries and you said childhood. Yes. So what's coming up for you? Um, I think that consent and boundaries need to be taught from childhood and that that's a big thing that doesn't happen, in my opinion. Is um, that, did you not learn that in childhood? Um, I don't know. I, I'm talking specifically, I guess, about my four-year-old nephew who is in like a preschool or whatever you're in at that age and kids were like touching him and pushing him and the teacher was like oh well he has to learn how to stand up for himself but I think that's exactly where the problem lies and it's that the kids that are touching him need to learn boundaries and consent and if he's saying no don't touch me that they should be taught if somebody says don't touch me you don't touch them have you had experience where somebody crossed your lines completely of course yeah are you open to sharing what that was like maybe <laughs> it's okay i mean it's a sensitive um, subject and yeah you know but for sure i mean i was divorced like four years ago maybe and I was very vulnerable at the time. And I was hanging out with like a photographer that I worked with that week or that day or something. And we were at a bar and then I like kept trying to watch this Kurt Cobain documentary and could not like finish it for whatever reason. And I brought that up and he was like, oh yeah, I wanted to watch that too. So I said, let's go back to my place and watch it. In my mind, I'm going back to my place just to watch the Kurt Cobain documentary with this photographer that I worked with. And in his mind, he's gonna try to fuck me. So we're drinking and watching. I still have not watched this movie <laughs> to this day. And um, he like tried to kiss me and I said no. And he was like, but I thought blah, 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 you invited me back here and I said, I really am still like dealing with this divorce and I don't feel comfortable like doing that. 
and then he just kept pushing it and then I just let it happen and had sex with him and then he stayed over as well and I really didn't want him to and then my ex-husband was coming the next morning to like drop something off and then he left as my ex-husband was there and then I was like fuck this is horrible I hate this and I felt terrible and that happened wow well yeah. first of all thank you so much for sharing that please put your hands together for it is you know in was it julie was that your name yeah. okay <laughs> julie said okay i'm just going to be brave mm -hmm. and i think that you just did the same and i'm really grateful that you shared that story um anybody who's ever been there say word, word. you know one thing i can say that i've learned from being in this space is that you know we often talk about consent around um around a willingness to have sex right it's like is somebody willing to have sex if they were willing then it's consensual um, but we don't talk enough about the wantingness. And so too often, too many of us have sex that we're willing to have, but we don't want to have. If you've ever been there, say word. word. And I think that, I think it's been a big lesson for me, and I've talked about this before in this space, that I think there's been probably many partners that I've had sex with that were willing to have sex with me and didn't want to. And I didn't really have the tools or the emotional intelligence to be able to, to, to show up differently. And I think that um, I've also had sex that you know I didn't want to have but was willing to for all sorts of reasons. So I'm just really grateful that you brought this up and I think it's, it's so important. It's important for all of us to hear. So once again, please put your hands together. <laughs> so, so, so we do have one more story uh, uh, and, uh, and I'm excited that, that she's here. Her name is Remy. Remy, uh, everybody please put your hands together for Remy. <laughs> so Remy, Remy, I'm, I'm so grateful that you're here. Uh, I wanted to chat a bit about a very important relationship in your life, right? So, um, when did you two meet? We met at, at university. You met um, at university? Yeah. Okay, and so were you freshmen, sophomores? Um, I don't recall. I was about, I think, 19 at the time. You were 19? Yeah. And how did you feel when you two met? Had you ever been in love before? I thought so. <laughs> I was, it was more of a kind of teenage crush kind of thing I mistook for love. But um, at this point, we were, we were friends first for a while, so there wasn't really that feeling yeah. I think initially yeah. okay all right and then you got together in college and you were together beyond college as well yeah we were for f um, four years after so. wow and what was the relationship like um, after a few years of friendship we we ultimately ended up together um, it it spiraled very quickly into a physical one um, we had developed a very close bond as friends um, so I think because of that connection and openness, um, we were both able to share very freely um, about basically anything um, in our experience. So um, this was the first person that um, I felt safe sharing my own, um, my sexuality, stories about um, how I had felt growing up, what I had suppressed um, in terms of feelings about women and having 
say feelings about women. Women yeah. and having suppressed um, that because of my culture upbringing and pressure that I felt around um, pressure and fear that I felt and shame as well um, about being very open in that regard. Um, and then your partner, so a lot. So at what point in the relationship you'd been very open about, you know, you'd shared with him, you know, your feelings around things you had repressed, possibly wanted to explore, then he had shared something with you. And what was the thing that he shared with you? Um, he shared that he, he believed that um, he was supposed to be a woman, so that he believed he was um, transgender. And how old were, uh, were the two of um, you at this point? By then, I think 22 or 23. Okay. Yep. And so what, what happened then? Um, <clears throat> Through, well, through my process, he had been encouraging me to experiment with women, which he was comfortable with in the relationship um, without being involved in any way. And that, I think, created the safe space for comfort um, for him to be able to share more openly. So it started with him kind of putting on my clothes when I came home and then um, just living through this process of taking hormones, um, kind of like going through puberty um, if you're, you're a teenage girl. Um, so you stayed together. You were together, we stayed together as a yep. couple through this transition. Yep, yep. How long was that transition? Um, I, I want to say about four years. I think four years. Wow. So, so how long was this relationship? Uh, romantically, four, four or five um, so as we were friends, we had been friends for about three years before we got together. And then how long from we were together did your partner begin their transition? Within the first year. Wow. So, yeah. And so, and you s decided that you were going to stay in that and support them through that transition. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were, we had been very close for, for a few years already. So it yeah. didn't, it was kind of crossover, but, but yes, I, um, I had experience kind of making space for people in my life to face issues with their sexuality. So I just chose to, um, I was open to it. I was also going through my own, um, I guess, self-discovery. So I, I stayed with him and supported him through the whole experience. And I, I use the pronoun um, for a specific reason. So not, you use yeah. which pronoun? The pronoun as in calling him him. Him. Yep. Okay. All right. So, uh, and pronouns, pronouns are important. Uh, why do you use the pronoun him? Um, when in, in my, well, from when someone, uh, realizes or opens up about, um, their, their feelings about their, their gender, their sexuality, um, it is, it is respectful from what I've learned to, um, use, I would say the correct pronoun. So if he felt he had, he was a woman from birth, um, in that period, I, I refer to him as her. So, but now you refer to him as a him. Yep. So wait, so, all right, so that's, <laughs> that's where, so he, he yeah, had, sure, sorry. He had, he had, he had transitioned in, um, he like had he took hormones or he, she at that point, she, and did, did she have a new name? Uh, yeah. So at that point she had, had changed, um, her name, changed it on her license, and, and uh, you know, gone through the whole process, was taking hormones for, um, you know, over the course of a few years, and eventually, I want to say about two years into it, 
also um, presenting as a woman in public. So up and you were still in the relationship. Yes, we were. Wow. <laughs> okay. So how did that impact? I guess you had feelings for women. Your mm. male partner was transitioning to becoming a female. Yes. How did you feel in this transition? Um, it was. It was kind of fascinating at first because it it gave me a platform to explore my own sexuality in a setting that I, I felt was kind of safe because from the outside world, um, you know, this was very much unknown. Um, so our, our sexual exploration evolved more in a kind of fantasy world that we created uh, on our own. Um, but that, as his transition progressed, um, it be the focus was very much about his process and all the struggle um, that one experiences going through that. And, you know, I think m the majority of the attention has to go to that person for them to, um, at least in this case, um, make it through this process. In so a, so in he a became a her. Yes. Yep. Went through this process. Why are you now referring to her as a him? Um, so we have ultimately ended the relationship. Um, we did stay friends. A, about two years after we were catching up um, over drinks and he sat me down and told me that um, he wanted me to know he had decided to detransition and had been off the hormones or taking alternate um, and was now living as a man again but had kept his his name that he had changed so wow okay <laughs> is that so Jana just quickly <laughs> the the transition from one and then back to another is that what what do we is that well how yeah, i don't even know how to ask what i want to know <laughs> it's not something that we've talked about a lot because it's been so difficult for trans folks to even you know, come out as trans and be recognized as as trans and there's been very little discussion around the, the people who do detransition. So we don't really have a lot of data. We know that about maybe 1% or so of the population is trans to some extent, although it depends on how, how you define, uh, exactly how you define trans. But then a small percentage of, of those people will detransition, and we don't exactly know what percentage, and we don't, we don't know much about who are the people who are more likely to detransition than the people who are not and what distinguishes them and mm. how can we know ahead of time because that would be kind of a useful piece of information to know if yeah. this is going to be something that you're you know, not going to go and stay with. Um, but yeah, so it's, wow. it's something that a lot of trans activists also don't really want to talk about, don't even want to recognize or acknowledge that it exists because they feel that the knowledge of that is going to somehow invalidate all the trans folks who are not going yeah. to detransition. De wow. But it, it is reality, and wow. we sort of have to acknowledge it. This wow. Some percentage will experience that. So, so that, relationship, that relationship ended. Mm -hmm. This yeah. partner transitioned back to being a male. Then you had another partner. Uh, yeah, very, very quickly after I started seeing someone else who was, was kind of like stereotypical heterosexual relationship. Um, we were together for two years. He proposed at that point, and about a month after, um, he also came out to me as, as trans. Uh, so. I mean... <laughs> and welcome this was to out of point. nowhere. So, so, <laughs> so, so how did you... I mean, what did you say in that moment? I'm, I'm 
pretty sure I was speechless because uh, a very big part of me didn't believe him. And having gone through what I did with my ex and being very much involved in the community and learning um, a lot about others who had gone through this uh, transition as well, um, being engaged to this person, I had not really seen a single sign before then. But I, we were supposed to get married. I, I uh, you know, I tried to be as supportive as possible, and and I, I went along with it while also trying to provide him kind of resources to make sure mm -hmm. it's really what he wanted to do. And yeah. did you get married? Uh, no, no. So about six months later, um, I was pretty confident that it was. He was not, but he he was already he was not trans, but he was already on hormones, um, preparing to come out to his family. I I ended the relationship, and about a year later, we had spent a few more months together. Um, he came out publicly. Um, those, the same week that Caitlyn Jenner publicly came out, and uh, we were living in LA at the time. Um, and let's say two years fast forward, this past summer, I, um, I just looked him up to see if he was still using the same, uh, the names he had changed to and everything, and, and found multiple, multiple um, articles in which he had interviewed saying that he decided to stop his transition because it was too much work to remove all the body hair, to live like a woman, to put on makeup, and to dress in this way, and he was just was tired of it. It was a waste of his time. Um, he was tired of it, and he was just going back to being a man. Amazing. Um, yeah, so. Amazing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Remy, thank you so much yeah, for sharing welcome. your experience. <laughs> so, so, we felt like that was an important story to share because of all the different layers of it around, you know, suppressing, you know, our feelings around exploring identity, about trying different things on, sometimes more literally than others. Um, what words are coming up for you as you hear that? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Holy shit. Freedom. Freedom. Mistake. BDSM. BDSM. Did somebody say type? Did I hear type? <laughs> okay, can we come over here real fast? Do you mind if I ask you some questions? What is your name? Tracy. Tracy? Tracy. Tracy. Thank God, thank God you're here, Tracy. So you said type. What's going on? Like I'm wondering whether she has a type. You're wondering whether she has a type. Yeah. Like what's what's happening? That's we attract. It's interesting the people that we attract into our lives, yeah. right? So, what kinds of people do you attract into your life, Tracy? <laughs> <laughs> Tracy's like, fuck! What the fuck did I just do? Why did I do this? I we're almost done. I, it's almost over. I what am I doing? Um, I have a tendency to take home strays. 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 Okay, if you've ever been there, say a word. <laughs> okay, so what does that mean to you? I mean, it um, means something to everybody, clearly. What does that mean to you? Lost souls. Like, I have my shit together, and the men in my life tend not to, and I have a lot of love and empathy and warmth for them, and I don't, I say, I think, at the beginning that I don't think 
I need to fix them. And then towards the end, it's like, oh, maybe I thought that I did. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that, Tracy. What other words do we have? What was that? Unconditional support. Honesty. Honesty. Hey, that was from Edwin Perez holding the microphone. <laughs> Everybody put your hands together for Edwin Perez. <laughs> Chris, can you take this mic from Edwin? I want to talk to Edwin. This has never happened before. But I know your voice way too well. <laughs> All right, Edwin, this uh, is so hello. good. Can we get a picture of that? Um, um, Edwin, when you, what's coming up for you around honesty? Um, I was just thinking about honesty with the self, like being honest with yourself. And that, those were great examples of people who are exploring themselves and trying to figure out how to be honest with themselves, but then realizing that that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. So for, my, for myself, um, Honesty, I think, so for me, this year has been a year of like no filters, uh, which is a year of like I'm trying to be myself with everyone. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, and it's been hard. Um, so I'm gay. Um, hello. And, <laughs> and a lot of my, I'm, I'm out to my family and my friends and my closer uh, relatives. But I'm from the Dominican Republic, and I have a lot of family over there who don't know or they haven't talked to yet about that. Um, and it's been like a fear that I have for a really long time that I'm over, but I still haven't like done that with them, like told them. And I'm pretty sure by this point they probably know. But, uh, but I feel like for me, uh, being honest with myself about knowing that it is okay for me to be gay, even though that my upbringing might have been different, and being able to confront those people and tell them I love you, and it's okay for me to do this. And if you don't like it, then that's great. Good for you. But I feel like I'm at a point right now where I'm okay with that, um, which is why I guess why I'm saying it on a podcast right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Woo -woo! Uh, um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of other layers, too, in terms of honesty and, like, knowing what I like, what I want. Uh, but it's a process. Everyone's always going through a process of figuring out who they are, and if, they're, they're, if, they're, if there's anything that I've learned from Touchpoint and being here is that we're always asking for permission to be ourselves, and I think that um, that's a common journey that everyone's going through, and I feel like I've learned to ask, to give myself that permission instead of asking it from others. Oh, God. <laughs> well, we can give him back his mic. Um, <laughs> Edwin, thank you so much for sharing that. I think that, uh, you know, as we close this space, I think that that's, you know, and, 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 and thinking about doing this for three years, I think that's probably been the biggest takeaway for me and for many people that sit in this circle, that permission to be ourselves uh, often does require a bit of bravery. Um, and it also, you know, for many of us, uh, being ourselves is really a privilege. And this space has taught me that in the most profound ways. You know, never did I realize that I was so straight, so white, so male, <laughs> so cisgender. <laughs> I'm all of the normative things. I'm like super normative. And, and being able to sit in a space with other people who can share stories of their walks through life, 
what it feels like, what they've seen, what they've touched, what they've heard has changed my life. And I really hope that, you know, as we close this space, that hopefully that one thing that you've heard here tonight affords you the opportunity to be yourself a little bit more, to find that permission to just self-express in a way that's fully authentic to you. Um, because honestly, that's, that is the greatest gift that we can give to ourselves. And I'm so happy that you brought that up. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you to all of you tonight who have shared your stories. All of you, please put your hands together for our storytellers. <laughs> Please put your hands together for Mr. Frank Malloy, the heartbeat of the Touchpoint Town Hall. For Dr. Jana Vrangalova, our resident sex educator. For our Touchpoint team, we have Ingram and Erwin on the mics. We have Vanessa all the way in the back. You can't see her, see her but she's recording everything, so please give her a round of applause. Vanessa, I love you. To Chris, who's back there, who you all don't notice, but he's standing back there and he's mitigated 100 emergencies in the hour that we've been sitting here talking. Uh, handles all of our production needs. Thank you so much. <laughs> to Sophia, our story producer, who really finds all these incredible people, these inspiring stories, and brings them to life so that we can share them with you. Thank you to Sophia. <laughs> we also really want to thank the assemblage for hosting us they've hosted us for the last 14 months and this has been a very beautiful journey but uh, this event has uh, shifted a great deal since we started uh, here a year ago it's grown enormously in size also here we started as a podcast started recording it uh, so this will be our last uh, evening here at the assemblage uh, then we are taking off in may and then we'll be back in june in a new location that we're excited to share with you um, so we really want to thank the assemblage to Erin Claire Jones, who's the director of programming, who uh, has made it possible for us to be here. And, you know, and to all the volunteers at this point, there's probably many, more than a hundred that have worked on this event that have, you know, made signs, held doors, you know, ushered people to their seats, set up candles, done everything. So for the volunteers that are here tonight, please put your hands together. <coughs> And last but not least, I would like you to direct your uh, attention to the center of the room where you will see some feathers. The story of these feathers is very important to the touchpoint mythology. <laughs> so a couple years ago, I, I did a lot of traveling. And in the first place I went, I was in Kenya. I was in a place called Crescent Island. I was surrounded by all these magical animals. And I looked down and I found this beautiful black and white feather. And I was like, this is beautiful, and I put it in my bag. And then a few weeks later, I was in Brooklyn, and I found a similar feather. And I was thinking, what type of bird is both in Bushwick and Kenya? <laughs> I don't know, but I picked up that feather, and I kept that with me. And then I started finding, I found another one, I found it in, in Washington, D.C. And then I traveled to 10 different countries over the course of that year, and I kept finding these feathers, and I kept collecting them. And then one day, I held up this one feather. I remember I found it in Portugal. I was in Porto, Portugal. I took a picture of it. I remember I posted it to Instagram, and I captioned it. I said, um, every feather 
right? I think I finally found enough feathers to uh, create the wings that I've always needed. And then I started thinking about these conversations. And I started thinking about how every single one of these conversations, every time we make space for people to show up as they are, to just speak their truth, right? Whether, whether it's, you know, to their family in the DR, whether it's to a stranger on the rooftop of the Met, whether it's to partners who are possibly for a lifetime and possibly just for a season or a moment, and whether it's for simply somebody who we, you know, who puts a, a power cord between our legs for a nanosecond. <laughs> However we come into contact with these people, when we create the space for them to show up as themselves and for us to show up as ourselves, every time we do that, we get a little feather in the wings we need to just soar. And so if there's one thing I can leave you with tonight as we close this, the, the three-year anniversary of this experience, it's to take a feather with you and remember that every time you give somebody permission to be themselves and every time you show up as you, you grow a little bit more, you soar a little bit higher, and everything is possible. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Touchpoint. You can learn more about us at lovetouchpoint.com and follow us on Instagram at, at lovetouchpoint. Have an inspired day, and we'll see you next week.